Hi, I'm Eric. And I'm Shalila, and this is Are You Still Watching? A podcast about movies and their place in our culture. Welcome back, Eric. I'm excited we're back. Yeah, it has been just a bit, but uh, yeah, it's it's good. It's good to be back, and I think maybe we should start like we have the last episode, I believe, and talk a little bit about stuff that's happening in movies, like that are beyond the two movies we're talking about today. Yeah, yeah, the industry. Yeah. So, little fun fact, uh, The Empire Strikes Back is currently the number one grossing box office movie in America. <laughs> well, <laughs> which is just... <laughs> so we all foresaw for 2020, obviously. It was in everybody's yep. palette. <laughs> I just love that that's, like, if you look back, I don't know if they've added to the Wikipedia pages yet, but, like, you know, once this year passes, if you look back, you'll be able to see the list of top movies of this year, and, like, Jurassic Park has it for a couple weeks, Empire Strikes Back will have it. Like, it's going to look really weird really without bizarre. any context. You yeah, know? but yeah, it was. Uh, I think uh, it was just drive-ins. It took like five hundred thousand from drive-ins or something. Also crazy yeah. that that's what's number one now. If a movie breaks seven hundred thousand right now, it's a big deal. That's the bar. Yeah, yep. yeah. This Completely reset like the industry. Dream. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but uh, beyond that, there's like a lot of good movies that are coming out or have come out in the month of mm-hmm. July. Yeah, and it kind of feels like we're getting. At least to me, it feels like we're getting the first wave of what would have beens that are actually good. Like, in other words, we got like trolls, and we got Scoob, and we got a bunch of stuff that could have been or was briefly, um, but like wasn't particularly well received necessarily. But now we're getting like the festival darlings. We're getting First yes. Cow and Palm Springs and Surely. things that were like talked about. Yeah, it's a good, it's it's a better time than it was for movies that are straight to VOD. And I guess, I don't know, I just feel like it's kind of the best we can ask for. I don't know yeah. how to feel, I mean, I, I, it's always such a sad, like, because I've seen, I think it was, uh, what is it, I think it was a Tom Hanks movie? It was like a Tom Hanks War movie that's coming out or came out recently that Apple got, and there was some Greyhound. quote from him where he was sort of, yeah, thank you, there you go. Yeah. Uh, and he was sort of sad about it, where he's like, you know, I'm glad that, Basically, I'm glad that Apple picked it up and like, I'm glad that it's releasing it because there's no theaters, but it's like not the screen and the sound it should be. And I feel like that's like, I get that, but I guess I'm just trying to figure out like, is there any, I don't know if the alternative is better. Like, is like the alternative, especially for smaller movies, like, is it better for Palm Springs to just wait until the end of 2020 or 2021 to release? I feel like, no, I, I don't know why, but I feel like it couldn't make it because there's I, we talked about this in a previous one i think there's just so much like those names have already been floated out to the world yeah so then to not ha- almost like in a new mutants way to not happen for then a year feels kind of weird i don't know yeah i agree it's a greater curse than it seems you know it's it's more than just just pushing it it, it, it kind of kills the entire spirit of the movie and uh i don't think we're at a place yet where we can pull that back you know right. i don't think we've worked past what happens when you just when you you're in the conversation and then you disappear and you try to come back in it just doesn't work i'm sure there's ways to work around that and clearly this is a situation where we're all maturing in that aspect but i don't think we're there yet you know like palm springs is not going to get a second wave of conversation so this is it so like i guess in that sense it is better just to do it now right like in other words ride whatever wave you have feel yeah yeah it's tough though like i i i'm curious i'm curious what those because I feel like there's got to be multi, there's a layer to this conversation that we're obviously not a part of, of like, to me, there's either the studios or the distributors who own the movie at this point. And I'm sure their conversations are primarily around the financial aspect, right? Like, they right. need to make money off of it. How long do they sit on it? Like, kind of like tenant, right? Like, when do you decide to pull the trigger? Like, what, based on money? 
But mm-hmm. my other thought is for ones that are more either because they have more influence like Nolan does or maybe because they still own their movie. I'm curious about what it's like from the creative side. Like as a filmmaker, how do you feel about your film right now? Like, you know, do you want it to be out even if it's not on the kind of like Hank said, like, do you want it out even if it's not right? Or do you wait because you want it to be right? But that also risks the fact that it may never happen or by the time you do it, nobody cares. I think that's, you just encapsulated the problem, right? It's just, you have no idea. It it could work. It could not pay off. Um, It's a mystery. Clearly, it seems like with things like Tenet that they've pushed, I think, five separate times, they're hoping that at this point, all the sunk cost into pushing and pushing will be worth the payoff. And I think maybe with things like Greyhound and Palm Springs, they were like, let's not even bother with that whole charade because it'll keep going. Right, right. Well, uh, I hope that, I mean, I guess I hope we keep getting good stuff as long as it's okay. Like as long as, I guess as long as filmmakers are happy with it, I guess I am. I feel like I I want good movies, but I would also be okay if like, if it's their product and they're like, we'd rather wait. I, I can see that. But I did want to share the coolest thing I've seen yet related to theaters, actually. Uh, oh. Because I don't... I, I honestly don't know what happened to the movie theaters in the U.S. I think they're open, but I, I don't actually know that. Like, the news just stopped talking about it, so <laughs> I, I really have no idea. For all I know, they're open and no one's going. Maybe they decided to delay. I think I heard they were delaying again. They are delaying to anyway. the end of July, as far as I remember, but I, I know that so much oh. depends on state-to-state policies, so there we go. we'll see. Well, the one that I've seen so far that honestly makes the most sense, and as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, duh. Um, the Music Box here in Chicago, which, for those listeners who don't know what that is, it is Chicago's like biggest uh, independent uh, theater, cinema, whatever you want to call it. Um, and it's like a traditional movie palace style place. They just held a raffle that I think was out. It They launched it today and it sold out immediately. But basically they held a raffle where one entry was 10 bucks. And uh, when they pulled the raffle ticket, if you won, you and 10 friends got to sit in their small theater for a private viewing of any movie you want. Oh, that's and awesome. as part of it, they were like, you know, you have to wear a mask the whole time, except if you're like, if you want to eat and drink, you can take it off. But until then, you got to wear it. Um, and it has to be, it can only be 10 people. And, you know, we'll work out, you know, you can pick any movie, basically, you just got to work it out with us. And we'll figure out a time and date and everything for you. Like it's your, you're renting it. And I honestly thought that was the smartest thing I've seen out of any movie theater yet. Because making it a raffle is exciting. It means people are going to get into it. And $10 is cheap enough that I don't think you care if you don't get it because you also have the feeling of like supporting your local thing. Mm -hmm. It lets them just get free money to just keep themselves afloat and keep paying their staff, which is great. Like, that's awesome. Please keep raffling. Mm -hmm. And I would totally go to the movies if there was only 10 people. Like, if I knew for sure that it's a 70-seat auditorium and there's only 10 people in it, means I can be guaranteed that... I'm safely distanced. I have my mask. It's people I know. Like it, I, to me, it was just a perfect situation. So I just wanted to kind of shout that out of like, I think they are doing a great thing and I would like to see more theaters do it if they can. I think it's a really smart idea. I love that. I really do. I, it's also so much nicer on the employees who have to sanitize the seats of 10 people rather than a rotating cast of hundreds. Yes, exactly. And I, like, I guess I should caveat, like the better situation is that 
theaters don't open and they get the support they need. Mm-hmm. But so long as the U.S. keeps opening up states where, because they're open, they can no longer, basically they have to deal with unemployment now. Like, there's no help. As long as that is the situation, I feel like this is the right thing to do. Like, this yeah. is a great idea, great way to support your local theater. I immediately went to it and it was already sold out. So I was like, yeah, that's obviously very Fantastic. Smart. It's um, working. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you get to pick whatever movie you want. So you guarantee that people are, you know, they're getting into it. So yeah, I thought that was really smart. So hopefully other local places can get in on that. I don't really care if like AMC does it, but I mean, I guess it'd be cool, but. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Great model. So anyway, just wanted to shout that out. So those are all really good things, which are in stark contrast to the two bad things we're talking about today. (laughs) (laughs) So far on our stream of requests that we're honoring, we've just directly crapped on them. (laughs) So really excited to keep that respectfully going. Yep. I mean, they knew I like to think we're respectful, but we're also honest. We're uncompromising critics. That is exactly how I feel. Uh, We have no conflicts of interest. We will not let our art become besmirched. (laughs) <laughs> by raffles, you know, we're we're true artists in a gross kind of way. No you know? super like just the, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> true artists, yeah. Uh, so today's movies were are, are part of the ongoing series we have of people that contributed to our Black Lives Matter fundraiser back in early June. Uh, and as part of that, if you gave a certain amount of money, then you could add, request a podcast episode for a movie of your choice. So, the two movies today are brought to you by two of my family members, uh, my father, Roger, and my brother, Aubrey. Uh, and they each picked Snakes on a Plane and The Mighty Ducks consecutively. So, that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, and as Shalila alluded to, last week, last week, last episode, we did Brave. Uh, and we are choosing to maintain our typical... Uh, system of this podcast in which we are honest about the movies that we watch uh well said they're they're good they're good and bad you know the warts and the not warts i don't know if there's like an opposite of that phrase like warts and all yeah you know what i mean yeah is there an opposite of that phrase like i love your (laughs) non-blemishes i don't know (laughs) it's probably not a phrase anyway uh good segue eric anyway that is today's (laughs) movies so, where do you want to start, Shalila? Let's uh, let's briefly talk about each of them. Um, just talk Great. about what we thought, what stood out. There's really not much to say, so uh, we can we can just riff, have some fun, and then um, I think we both have thoughts on more broadly the legacies of these movies, the things that led to them, and more importantly, what led out from them. So, after we're done briefly talking about each of them in turn, we can talk a little bit about what what they led to and why, for lack of a better phrase, they're important, really. Um, why people remember them um, and why they may be very dear to some people and maybe not others. Yep. Um, fantastic. Um, let's start with Snakes on a Plane. I want to say something about this movie, which is that if you've forgotten that the tagline of the movie is sit back, relax, enjoy the fright... You shouldn't. So I'm here to remind you that that is the tagline for this movie. And that was something that a real marketing team came up with. Not as a joke. Enjoy the fright. Oh, yeah. That is... Huh. Okay, I... Hmm. 
It's like when you're in line at Disney and one of the cast members has to say something so they don't seem like yeah, they're a right. college student who's being underpaid to stand there and they right. say something like, enjoy the fright, your wait time is 45 minutes. Yeah. So here's my first immediate thought based on that tagline. Doesn't it? I mean, I know what they're getting at, obviously. Like, I understand the pun. It's not a pun. I don't know what that is. Is it wordplay? I don't know how, I guess, enjoy the flight, enjoy the fright. Yeah. But the first thing it makes me think of is that it was supposed to be enjoy the flight, and now it's enjoy the fright, which kind of sounds like they were doing a insulting impersonation of a stereotypical East Asian accent. So, (laughs) like, it just immediately doesn't really, like... I don't, it just doesn't work immediately to me because when I read it, the first thing I don't get to <laughs> is fright because my brain knows it's supposed to be flight. So, and I, I just feel like it's dead in the water. Like it's not a good start. Oh my goodness. And, and it's not like this movie came it's from like, nobody's. This movie was released by New Line Cinema. Like, like yeah, they yeah. had time for somebody to say, don't do that you know yeah this wasn't this wasn't meant to be a great movie but it wasn't meant to be carelessly put together either like this this was fully worked out this movie was not hastily thrown together it was conceptualized and worked through the entire timeline so i'll say this anything that we criticize is fully somebody's fault (laughs) yeah yeah maybe that's a good thing to say too is like it is not good and it's not it's like not supposed to be like um right which is to say, like, I think I remember, I don't know, maybe it was in the week or uh, interview I was watching or something, but there was something about Samuel Jackson when they asked him about it. And he basically confessed to saying, like, it's lowbrow. Like, it's mm-hmm. that's the intention. It's supposed to be a lowbrow movie, and it's supposed to be uh, something, like, it's supposed to evoke the kind of movie that he would have gone and seen when he was a kid, mm-hmm. which are, like, lowbrow, low-budget, kind of, whatever, dumb action, dumb monster movies, because... This is, like, the true definition of just a lowbrow escapism. Like, right. just have fun with this ridiculous premise and don't think about anything else for at least a little bit. I remember at some point during the process, they considered changing the title to something else. And he said, no, like, hell no. I signed on to this because it, it's the perfect amount of ridiculous. And if you change the title, I won't do it. So that tells oh, you that's everything. Awesome. I didn't know that. That's great. <laughs> Well, uh, base, do you want to do you want to cover the basic premise? For yes, people that I would seen love it? to do that. I, I'll I'll talk through the setup, but I think I think the real like in a, a three word sum or two word summary of this movie is it's horny trash. Like it's very specifically a very <laughs> horny movie. I, I I so I watched this. I've watched this before. I'm pretty sure I've watched this in parts or in as a whole or many times, sort of when I was a kid and it was on TV, but I've never sat down and intended to watch this movie like many people. So I never really focused on things, if I can call them themes in this movie, like the fact that everyone is constantly horny. And it's just a standout fact about this movie that cannot, (laughs) cannot be not mentioned. So (laughs) it's, it's very horny. So let's talk about basically what happens. So there's a guy named Sean Jones. He's this carefree surfer in Hawaii, and he's just chilling, dirt biking, swigging his Red Bull in, you know, Hawaii. And he inadvertently witnesses a mob boss kill, I think, an FBI guy or some kind of cop. So he he, he runs. He's like, whatever. Um, I didn't see that. But the mob boss, a.k.a. Eddie Kim's guys, go after him. 
and they intend to kill him for what he saw, but in comes Samuel L. Jackson, who is Agent Neville Flynn of the FBI, and saves his life, and after, like, two minutes of convincing this dude, he's on a plane with Sam Jackson and another FBI guy who will not last long to testify against the mob boss. So that's the setup. They take over first class, and in the first, like, 20 minutes of the movie, we get introduced to the cast of oddball characters who are going to be on this plane, obviously many of which are meant to die. So we have kids flying solo, we have a rich rapper, we have his uh, interesting bodyguards, we have a British asshole, uh, various flight attendants, including the um, fantastic Juliana Margulies, who I don't know why she's here, but I love it. Um, we have an older flight attendant who's very motherly, we have a socialite with her small dog, we have an ethnic woman with a baby who's really just white and Spanish, um, we have a kickboxing enthusiast, horny people, lots of horny people, more horny people. So, the main thing happens. Halfway through the flight, the mob boss's henchmen have put a time-release carton of snakes in the cargo hold of this plane, <laughs> and a timer goes off. Oh, and they sprayed the lays that all of the, like, the Hawaiian lays that all of the passengers are wearing with a pheromone that makes snakes aggressive. So, yep, Halfway through the flight, they're flying over the Pacific, and these snakes start attacking. They're loose. Take it from here, please. So, I mean, that's the entire movie. But yeah. the rest of the movie is Samuel Jackson punches snakes and shoots snakes until success or failure. I just... I, the thing that I think is, is really key here, like the thing I really want to hammer home, is what a stupid premise. But, but I, what I mean by that is like... I don't mean that even in an insulting way, necessarily. Like, I know that sounds insulting. I'm actually kind of amazed. Because in order to get to where they got, they had to go past the first premise. Because the first premise is, what if a bunch of snakes got loose on a plane? Which is like a fine premise already. Like, that's already like a dumb premise. You can make a movie out of it. Like, it's, it's just there, right? It's essentially jaws but on a plane with snakes right like what if there was just like a bunch of snakes and they're on the plane and that's bad (laughs) that's it go forth right like survive the plane but instead they were like not good enough because what if instead it was like a batman villain-esque scheme to kill a guy who witnessed a murder so the the grand plan instead of like I don't know, a normal assassination is let's fill a plane with hundreds of snakes, just hundreds of them. And then let's hope that they kill the guy. And then some other person at the table is like, well, hang on, Scott, but how do like the snakes, like what if they don't kill him? What if the snakes just take a nap? And he's like, okay, well, have you ever seen anything involving poison ivy and he said yes and he says well let's make it pheromones so that this it's not just snakes it's crazy snakes like it's it's hopped up on snake pheromone snakes and that's how they're going to assassinate a guy like that is fascinating on a level i just can't quite comprehend in a stupid way but it's just it's over this bell curve that I, i mean i think the way that i it feels like it belongs in the modern Fast and Furious movies. Mm. Where, like, the original Fast and Furious was like, this guy stole a van full of DVD players. 
let's get him. And that was it. And you're like, okay, cool. And then in the new ones, it's like, this guy, you have to ride on this nuclear submarine torpedo in order to explode this ancient Russian factory <laughs> so that you can stop Charlie's Theron from hacking into Jason Statham's brain so that he doesn't murder Vin Diesel's secret brother mm-hmm. so that, so that, so that. Like, and they're, they've gotten insanely more ridiculous. And what I think I appreciate about this movie is that this was in 2006. It jumped to that shark way the hell before Fast and Furious. Like, it came to inanity so much faster than any other movie. And I kind of like that. Like, I, I think it takes gumption. No, I respect it. Yeah. Yeah. It's Yeah, that's, it's that's a, a good way to put it. There's, like, something to respect. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know what else to say about it. It's just, there's a guy who karate chops a snake. I think that's my favorite. Yes, um, I remember that. I'll tell you my favorite, yep. which is a very airplane gag, which is where the microwave in the plane has a snake setting. And they put the snake in the microwave <laughs> and press the button that says snake, like next to grill and meat and I forgot. popcorn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just... Yeah. <laughs> That's that I was, was one obviously of, almost so ridiculous that that one almost pulled me out. Like it was, it actually reminded me of Airplane, like to the point where I was like, okay, like come on now. <laughs> like, I, I was going to say that, that takes it from B to C, so don't do that. Like don't pull me out of the the light realism you've created. <laughs> I was going to say even when you were talking about the introduction of the cast, honestly, I mean, I, it's going to sound like we're being like really simple with our analysis here, but honest to God, it does remind me of Airplane, not because it's on an <laughs> yeah. airplane. But even the way that it introduces its cast, like you said, like it basically shows you through this like group of just weirdos that you know are going to die is kind of the same way Airplane does it, where you go through the passengers for a while and you're like, okay, yes. here's the nun and here's the, the, the like married couple and here's the lady who's sick. And like you go through because you know that each of them is going to have a piece later in the movie. And like you can tell, even in your first time watching, you're like, okay, got it. Like we're setting up who's going to get the bits. And this yeah. time around, it's like, okay, great. We're going to see who gets to die via whatever. Like a lot of this does feel like it was like the, the, the elevator pitch was let's do airplane and alien and push them together. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> and I, it's just such an interesting tone to set. I don't know. Yeah. There's something about this movie where they, they, they kind of thought, what if airplane, obviously disaster, but people are asking questions that we're going to actually try and answer. Like, here's, here's my beef with this movie. Like you said, I mean, I have a lot of beef with this movie, but here's one piece (laughs) of beef with this movie. Um, it's that it actually thinks that we're asking a lot of questions that absolutely nobody is asking. Like when they yep. explain why there are snakes on this plane, I'm like, dude, no, I yep. came to see this movie called Snakes on a Plane. I do not care that it's a time release box. Just just let the snakes loose on the plane. And when they explain they a lot that of work. there's a one specific guy who's the only one who could have wrangled all these global snakes and therefore he's the only one who might have all the antidotes. And I'm like, I don't care, man. Just, just tell me that the, the hospitals are overrun or... I don't know. All the yeah. hospitals just flew away. Just tell me anything and I will be willing to go with it. But they really sit there and think, how could we explain this? Like, what could happen down in the real world? And yeah. I didn't ask. Yeah, they really want you to buy in. Like, they deeply are like, you You need to believe this. Um, <laughs> and there's a lot of stuff in this that I think is just worth touching on. Like, like you said, something, a great bit. I forgot about that completely. 
is the snake setting on the microwave. Um, I love that they put up a blockade of luggage to stop snakes. <laughs> I don't know why. There's just something about that that I'm like, to stop snakes? Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know why. Like, don't they live in, like, the super dense jungle? You know what it's I mean? Like, like the, I don't, It's like the uh, day after why? tomorrow library door stopping the cold thing. Yes. Yes, exactly. And you're like, okay, I guess that works. Um, I really love that. I love the, uh, the shtick that the passengers have. Because, like, when you see the shtick, you realize what they are or, like, what they're supposed to fill. Like, for example, the rapper is germaphobic. Yeah. <laughs> like, and they just, they, they, like, introduce that early and you're like, okay, great. Well, that's going to come up. Yeah. Right? And then you have, like, the, the, the rich gal who has her chihuahua that she brings on. And as soon as she does that, you're like, okay, well, I guess the chihuahua is going to get eaten by a fucking snake, isn't it? Like, you yeah. know immediately that, that a chihuahua is going to be in trouble at some point in time. <laughs> like, or the award-winning uh, one with Keenan Thompson. <laughs> right. With yeah. the, him, you know, being addicted to his video games and, uh, yep. you know, he just constantly playing his video games. Man, I wonder yep. uh, how that's going to I wonder what that'll turn out. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I, and it's just such a fascinating little thing to me. I don't know why. Um, I think one of my other favorite moments is at the very end, uh, there's like the last snake that you don't know is there that jumps out. <laughs> yes. And... He just draws a gun and shoots it. <laughs> yeah, like, I, there's just something it's so, just like... so much. Uh, it's... Yeah. Um, that snake's on a plane. If you haven't seen it, I honestly am shocked. Because you did touch on this for a second. Like, this movie is on TV. It's like every Constantly. channel has this pre-purchased from the second they become a syndicated Constantly. channel. I think it was an FX movie. I know it was on FX forever. I think it's also one that they showed on like Spike when that was around. Like it was just a constantly replayed movie. So it's kind of hard to not have seen at least a part of it in your lifetime. <laughs> yeah. I feel like. Uh, and with that being said, I do want to talk about my single favorite thing from this movie ever of all time. Go for it. Has to do with the TV version of this movie. Yes. Yes. My absolute favorite. Now, I don't know. We've talked about this before. I have no idea what the rules of podcasts are. So, you should know that Samuel L. Jackson has a very famous line in the movie, which is, I have mm-hmm. had it with these MFN snakes on this MFN plane, said Eric, keeping it PG. Mm-hmm. The TV version, which I watched this with my friend Jordan <laughs> at his house when we were in middle school, I believe. Uh, I watched I this. And it was just on TV, and we happened to hear it. And I remember listening to it and thinking, there's no way that's what I just heard. It's impossible. I must have misheard. And I would seek it out later to make sure that I heard it correctly. Because he says, I have had it with these monkey-fighting snakes Mm -hmm. on this Monday-to-Friday plane. Which is one of the best quotes in hollywood oh history goodness. i think it deserves a spot in the top 100 afi ones it's just delightful it makes no sense it has no contextual place in it i understand that they cannot use the word that they use in the movie on tv i understand that part but my question is the word like the the words they pick to replace it make no sense at all and in a character sense there's nothing in the rest of the movie to support the fact that Samuel Jackson would ever say Monday to Friday yeah. or like monkey fighting. Like he suddenly turns into like a older grandmother. Like it's just like a weird, like why those were, it's so fascinating. It really is. Love it. 
love it, love it, love it. It's inexplicable. Um, yeah, really great. Um, it has an interesting soundtrack, sort of. When you say soundtrack, are you referring to the Cobra Starship song from the credits that completely rules? Or are you talking about an actual score? Uh, yeah, that is true. Uh, there is the, the, the Snakes on a Plane, Bring It by Cobra yes. Starship. Great song. Great <laughs> Which is wonderful. song. It's, what it, it's um, exactly what it sounds like. If you haven't heard it, you've heard it. There is also Snakes on a Plane, the album, which features songs. I don't know if it's from the movie. I guess it's not from the movie. I guess it's just like, I don't know, inspired by it or whatever. But there's a Panic at the Disco song, hmm. uh, Gym Class Heroes, uh, CeeLo Green. Uh, lots of people oh, what that this? are just wow. fascinatingly on this album. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. Uh, I think we'll have more to talk about it when we get to the legacy yes. section of yes. our day, but yes. this is a fascinating movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm going to say one last thing that's a fun fact about the background of this movie. So, the person who wrote, or the people, I guess, who wrote this movie are not actually the people who came up with the story. Um, there's a dude, a separate dude, who came up with the story. Like, he came up with the whole concept of, hey, what if there were snakes on a plane? Um, and here is his journey. It is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever read. So this guy comes up with a story in early 2000s. He's like, okay, I'm I'm gonna write the draft of a movie I have in my head. It's about one snake loose on a plane. So he writes it. And okay, so it's Jaws. It's Jaws on a plane. Yes, yes, exactly. It's Jaws. I'm assuming too that he explained it less. So it's probably the dream version of the movie that we have. So it's one snake. It's on a plane, and he titles this movie Venom. So obviously there's a problem there. But anyway, so he's like, okay. So he submits it. They're like, nah. So he expands the script, and he's like, okay. Now it's going to include a whole bunch of snakes. So he writes a whole (laughs) bunch of snakes on a plane, and then completely inexplicably titles it Aliens. Again, a problem. And then finally, he's like, okay, maybe the snakes are just not on the plane. They come from the cargo hold. So it doesn't start with the snakes. It They reveal themselves midway through. So he's like, all right, I've mastered this movie. I, I don't have a copyright claim on the title. Right. I figured out the story. And then he submits it and it gets turned down. And then later, a bunch of people were like, maybe that script was good and then they just ran with it and this guy has gotten no credit and i just feel like i have to tell his untold story on our podcast i think i remember seeing that he was also like a nobody right he was like a university of pittsburgh administrator like he's not like a hollywood writer he's just like a guy which i mean like great like you know yeah you're living your dream but fascinating you know uh (laughs) wow I do like that he he wrote a film called Aliens and thought that that would work. Yeah, now which definitely makes which begs the question: Are, are these snakes from Earth, or were they meant to be alien snakes? Because right. Like, was he trying to write the Aliens sequel? Except the Aliens was already a movie by the time right. he would have wrote this. So why even I, call I, it? Yeah. That? Sorry, it is the what 2000s. a fascinating, what a fascinating life. You know, he deserves. Like a 60-minute Netflix documentary. I would he definitely does. watch a little documentary on the guy who created the story for Snakes on Play. <laughs> I just want to know what his life's like. Where did he go? Mm-hmm. How's he feeling? You know? When was he struck by the idea? Tell us about you. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, that's Snakes on a Plane. <laughs> so, our second movie today is The Mighty Ducks. Uh, the Mighty Ducks is my brother's favorite film of all time. I should caveat this by saying he is a hockey player. Uh, 
I suppose, professionally at this point. He is going to his first juniors team, minors team. He's going to hate that I don't know what it's called, but it's one of those two. Uh, This fall, all things going our way. Um, So this is just what he lives and breathes. So naturally, this would be his favorite movie. Um, I am aware of The Mighty Ducks. I was aware of it my whole life. I had never seen it. I was just aware of it as a Disney movie that was very popular. And that's kind of all I knew about it. Mm -hmm. Um, Until I watched it today. So, uh, yeah, uh, I guess just like a quick overview. If you've seen the Bad News Bears, <laughs> you've seen the Mighty Ducks. It's the same movie. And I think what's interesting is if you go to the bottom of the Wikipedia page for Mighty Ducks, it, it says see also. Under see also, it says the Bad News Bears, an earlier film with a similar premise. Oh, Oh, wow. And I think that's kind of exactly what there is to say about it. Bad News Bears is Walter Matthau. Instead of Matthau, it's Amelia Estevez. And otherwise, it's the same movie. Basically, a former hockey player is kind of bad at life. And because of that, he is sentenced to community service. And for his community service, he has to help a team of misfits who are bad at the game be good at the game. Mm-hmm. And along the way, he discovers, like, you know, friendship and responsibility and uh, not being so obsessed with the thing that was his qualm at the beginning of the movie. And that's it. That's that's the movie. It, it's just just exactly the same as Bad News Bears. And I should note, every other movie that's ever been made after Bad News Bears. Because um, there's one for every sport, like, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and this is that. So, Yeah. Uh, I honestly don't have a whole lot to say about the movie itself. The The only thing I will say is the beginning of this movie is just straight garbage fire. I don't know what the problem is. It is not good. It takes way too long to get set up. Um, like, it, it's just not... It's like it doesn't match what comes later. Because honestly, when things start getting going, it's actually pretty entertaining. Like, yeah. I'm not going to say yeah. it's good, but it's it's fairly entertaining. And, like, you begin to... The kids are all pretty fun, and they have, like, good dynamics, and they're very, uh, they each have a shtick that is very, like, evident, and that makes them very enjoyable to watch, because they're so sort of flamboyant with, like, their thing. Like, this is the kid who's afraid of the puck, or this is the kid who is, like, always, like, kind of talking, like, in a babbling sort of way, or this is the the huge kid, or this is whatever. Like, right. they each just kind of have, like, a little thing that's, that's fun. Um, and it just kind of picks up into a better pace. But the beginning of this movie is just god-awful, and I don't understand completely why. I kind of want to rewatch it to get a better sense of why it's so bad, but I will say this. I, I was writing down notes while I was watching it because I was so shocked by the fact that, like, the very first scene in the movie is young Emilio Estevez, I mean, not him, but whatever kid is playing him, uh, just tragically failing at, like, a hockey game and a final shot. And it's, like, the setup, and I get that. But the way that it's shot is so tragic and overwhelmingly, like, sad mm-hmm. that you're just immediately put in this mood of, like, oh, okay. And then it cuts to him as a lawyer. And you spend a lot of time with him as a lawyer. Yeah. Like, a lot of it. And not in, like, a kid-friendly way. Like, it's actually at a trial and they're using a lot of, like, legal language. And then he just gets in a car and starts drinking while he's driving. <laughs> And 
all of that happens before you meet the children. So my question when I began watching it was, who is this movie for? Because if yeah. this is a kid's movie, as a kid, if I'm if I'm the age that I think this is targeted to, which is like 8 to 10-ish, 6 to 10 maybe, I'm out. <laughs> like I'm, yeah. I'm already like bored. I don't know what's going on. Then, then it switches to the kids. And when you're first introduced to the kids, it you're is assholes. such high-level <laughs> hijinks that it immediately feels like it's a completely different film. Yeah. And if I'm sitting there as an adult, I'm thinking... I'm out. <laughs> like, I don't know what's going on. Why is it like this? It's shot like the Christmas story hijinks where like there's a really rapid cam and everyone's like running around like like in almost like a like a, a Monty Python skit sort of way. Like it's so childish. And I get that. I'm not saying it shouldn't be kiddish, but it m- does not match the beginning of this movie. The final moment that really solidifies this for me is that when they meet, when the children and Emilio Estevez meet, the kids think that he is a drug dealer, and they say so vocally, and then they become afraid that he has a gun in his jacket, and when he reaches for the piece of paper that is actually in his jacket, they vocally say, "Uh uh-oh, he has a gun, and they begin backing up, because they think that he's a drug dealer there to shoot them. Yeah. What is this movie? Like, who... Is it for? What age group is it targeting? I cannot figure it out for the <laughs> life of me. Because I get what they're doing. Like, they were basically trying to shorthand, these kids are poor. <laughs> they were like they were trying to find the quickest shorthand they could. But it makes it so hard to watch because you're like, what? I don't I don't know what's going on, and I, I feel very uncomfortable. Like, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel. So that's really all I have to say about the movie itself. Um, other than that, it's a fine retelling, I guess. It's a perfectly just entertaining, bad, you know, it's, it's, it's a younger children's sports movie. It is exactly what it's going to be. It's pretty beloved by people in in a nostalgia aspect. And I think that's fine. All good. I don't really have any like, you know, uh, issues with that. It's just not for you as an adult if you don't care about hockey or you don't watch this for some reason. I don't know how you would enjoy this. It's just, there's nothing for you? I don't know. It's very strange. Um, So I have some other things that are fascinating about this movie in a behind-the-scenes aspect, but I would love to hear what your thoughts were on the movie itself, briefly. I mean... I, I just agree with every single thing you said because I, I also watched this today and I also thought I was possibly going crazy. I don't have this feeling yeah. a lot, but I was watching it and I was like, is it me? Like, am I, what, what is it? Like, why, why does this movie snap in and out of very strange realms? Yes. I had the, I, I had this, I had, I truly, I really would have said this even if you had not just said what you said, but I had the distinct feeling that they wrote the script and it was good for what it's meant to be. Like, it's formulaic, but it's fine. And then some editor went in and picked out, like, random selections in the middle of the movie and deleted it. And they were like, oh no, we start shooting tomorrow. And the only two people available to help them fill in those holes in the script were somebody who writes for like an ABC drama like Desperate Housewives and somebody who wrote Home Alone 1 and then they put both yeah. those people in a room and they were like you two yep. the two of you guys fix it write the yeah, yeah right in the fix holes. the beginning 
And then mostly the beginning, and also, like, weird parts in the middle, like, when, I don't know, Emilio Estevez has this weird spit take out of nowhere, or just weird (laughs) robotic dialogue. Like, I'm not saying this movie was written, like, spotlight. It's just that the dialogue was so robotic, you're like, I'm sorry, what what happened here? And then did you also Did you notice that Emilio Estevez was bored out of his mind in the beginning? Oh my god, it's like you can watch his his eyes go, His line dialogue? He looked so bored. And that's the other thing I'm talking about. Like, when it begins picking up, he suddenly seems like he's into it. Like, his line delivery seems fine. His eyes are brighter. Like, he seems like he's doing stuff. But in that first, I don't know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, half hour, he looks bored out of his gourd. And you can feel it. (laughs) He just doesn't even seem like he's in the movie. Like, it's like they had one shot and they moved on. It's, I I really don't know what to say. It's just a really interesting showcase of what I like to call Disney acting, (laughs) which is Mm. just, I can't define it better than the acting in this movie. Like it's not, it's not even necessarily as simple as just saying it's bad, though it is bad. It's just, there's something about it where like somebody will say a line in a certain way and you're like, yeah, that seems like it was produced by Disney. Uh, but it was, uh, it's, that's, that's, that's every thought I have had on this movie. I, I feel the same way. Like I, I, don't really have any passion for hockey personally and I don't you know I'm also not 10 years old so obviously this movie wasn't meant to be the most um attention grabbing of a watch for my um Monday night but it was sure it was fine I guess I guess for me it even though I know that this is a fairly old movie in the grand scheme of these sporty things and that it, you know, it's meant to be fair, fairly formulaic. It was just so formulaic towards the end where I was like, I mean, I know that you're not going to knock my socks off with a twist, but oh my God, like I'm going glassy. Like it's it, like the last two songs in this movie are we are the champions and we will rock you. Like, come on now. Come on. Did anybody yep. put any thought into yep. doing this in a way that didn't seem like an algorithm wrote it? <laughs> But also, I know. I know that works for Disney, and I wasn't... I'm not expecting, like, a Ford versus Ferrari. So, like, whatever. No, I... I'm actually... I'm glad you used algorithm. Like, I was trying to figure out the right word to say it, and I think that's actually... That's right on. Doesn't it... I don't know if you'll agree with this, but I... I, And I'm not... Again, I'm I'm sort of not saying that they're wrong to do this, because it's, it's intentional. Like, they have a very... These style of Disney movies have a very formulaic way that they're... It's essentially a DCOM. It's just... I don't know why it's not a mm-hmm. decom. It's just mm-hmm. produced by somebody else, I guess. But it's it feels to me like they're not really that concerned about authenticity. What they're worried about is textual completion. So, like, what they need, what they need Emilio Estevez to do is to say on screen, "What I have to go to Minneapolis? Oh no." And, and that's it. Like, they don't, they don't need him to provide emotion regarding that decision. They don't need, they don't need you as the viewer to like have any of that. What they need you to do is have the information that he doesn't want to go so that when you see him there, you know, he didn't want to go. Yeah. And how do you know that? Because he said it. That's it. (laughs) Like, it's just that simple. And it's like a, it's like a very bare bones way of making movies. Like, they're not really concerned about, about nuance, about subtext, what they want is to get across exactly what they need to and literally nothing more. Mm-hmm. And this movie feels like if they accomplished it in the first take, then that's perfect. They don't need anything else. Yeah, there are a lot of times where it seems like he was maybe just reading a large cue card behind somebody's head. Like, it's insane. Right. <laughs> the man is and so And that's enough for them. 
and that's fine because the movie and and I don't think these style of Disney movies it's like they don't require any more than that because it's not really a I don't know, it's almost like it's not about that. It's like they can do their job without it, so why do it? But what's so weird to me, though, is that, like, Disney movies are, you know, this DCOM style of movie. I know this, we know this isn't a DCOM, but this kind of movie, I I really do feel like it's usually the opposite. Like, it doesn't need to be a groundbreaking story because, especially as a kid, the fun of watching these movies is that you're comforted by kind of knowing exactly what's coming, right? Like, I I really don't want to watch High School Musical and be like, so you're telling me they don't all do a a happy number at the end? Like, I would be crushed. So I need it to go the way that it's expected to. But the point is that, what you what they lose usually with predictability, they gain by having so much passion. Like you don't watch a decom and think, "Wow, people overcommitted themselves to this embarrassing movie." Like that is usually the thing. You're like, "Why isn't Zendaya so into Zapped when it's clearly a terrible movie?" Well, because people are watching it to see Zendaya give a passionate performance, even though the script is ridiculous. So even though it's bad, it's passionate. And this movie is kind of neither. Like, the the script is fine. It's obviously not good. It's just that, like, kids aren't going to be like, oh, you know, there was a hole there. Like, they don't care. But they do right, notice a right. lack of passion. Like, kids know that. Kids are like, why does the coach not care? <laughs> That's something you notice as a child. Right. So I asked my brother about this exact thing. Because, again, I had never seen it. He adores these movies. I think he's seen all three, of which there are three. Uh, and yep. uh, I mean, he's just really deeply into them. And I asked him, like, why is it your favorite? And of course, his first answer was like, oh, well, it's a hockey movie. Like, it's fun to see yourself on screen, which I thought was kind of an interesting answer in like an age of representation. It's an interesting thing to sort of hear that extended to even just like hobbies, etc. Mm-hmm. But then I sort of pressed him where I was like, okay, well, there's other famous hockey movies there's like miracle there's goon there's like things that are hockey and famous so why this one uh and what he basically told me was it literally comes down to just the interactions between the kids and that familiarity so he said uh, he says he enjoys mighty ducks so much because of the characters and the fact it's just a fun easy movie to watch that takes me back to when i was a kid watching it so this is the other thing I think is interesting is my brother was not born when this movie came out. Uh, in fact, this movie <laughs> came out a full nine, almost 10 years before he was born. So he was in no way part of the initial wave of people who would have enjoyed this movie. I was not born when this movie came out. So I don't have any nostalgia from it. But what I think that his comment reveals to be is that there's something about the way that these kids interact with each other specifically the kids there's a way that these characters act that must have some degree of authenticity because that interaction has created at least three different generations worth of nostalgia even though there shouldn't be like he shouldn't have any nostalgia from this movie really it's not his generation's movie in that sort of way of saying nostalgia but he does. Like, he has a deep memory of watching this movie as a child. So watching it today brings him back to those moments of being a kid and relates to this thing that he loves when he was a kid. So there's got to be something about that that really, as like a kid, reads true. Hmm. And I think that's interesting. Like, that is, that's actually a, an interesting sort of point that I'll give this movie is I didn't expect it to carry on with that kind of uh, legacy, which we'll get to in a little bit, but like 
it really seems to have affected people even after the fact. And I don't think it has a lot to do. He even acknowledged to me when I was asking about it. He's like, yeah, it's not a good movie. Like, it's not like you're not, you're not watching it for it to be good though. Is basically what he said, right? Like he's like, not, it's almost like you don't care about the plot. Really? You don't care about Emilio Estevez. Even you don't care about any of it. What you care about is just like, how do these kids interact with each other? And the closest thing that I have to this, I don't, we've actually never touched those movies. So I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, Sandlot, or The Sandlot, whatever is the correct title, um, is, to me, it sounds just like that movie to a lot of people, including myself, which is a movie about a time period that I did not grow up in, and it wasn't even the time period that my parents who showed it to me grew up in. It was their parents' time period. And in sort of that Christmas story way, where, like, you can still watch it as a kid, and it can be about things you don't, you're not involved in, but the way that the kids interact feels so true and feels so familiar that I can feel nostalgic for the movie Sandlot, even though it is fine, A, and B, it is not at all something that was a match. Like, never once was I a latchkey yeah. kid in a baseball diamond in the 1950s. <laughs> like, it just was not. And yet, there's a degree of nostalgia for that thing that isn't real. And I, I don't know, there's just... I, I want to put this movie in that group of of three films that are somehow able to, to to create nostalgia out of authenticity specifically related to kids. And I think that's really different. Like, I, I don't really know of a lot of things that do that as successfully without being fantastical. Mm-hmm. Like, whatever, like The Goonies or something, where it's like right. a, a grand adventure. This is just like a summer or a winter or a whatever. That's fantastic. I think that your brother saying that is a vote of confidence in favor of this movie because like like we say about a lot of movies meant primarily for kids it's like at the end of the day a really the only important thing is if it had the impact it's meant to have on the kids who are watching it then it's great right it did that that's a big job mm-hmm. and i think that like that that was my kind of that was my 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 leaving thought when i finished the movie i was like you know what if this helped young hockey players feel cooler about what they're doing and feel like they can relate to, you know, conflict within their team and being like the one who skates worse than the others or the goalie who's afraid of the pucks. And great, you know, like that, that's fun. That's all you need really from this. Like you don't need to, you've already forgotten the fact that the lawyer mumbo jumbo at the beginning was too confusing for you. You just had fun with that. So it's good. It's good that he felt that way because I, there's a world in which that's literally the only thing that matters, right? And that world is the kid's world. So um, good stuff in favor of the movie. Yeah. it's And like I said, I, I, I don't know if you're going to get anything out of it unless you're that specific group. Like, I just don't. This is one of those movies that I think you got to show a kid as a kid. And if you miss it, you're just not going to get something out of it. There's mm-hmm. nothing really for you anymore because Emilio Estevez, despite the fact that he likes these movies, by the way, like a lot, yeah. I don't, uh, he's coming back for the fourth one or the reboot or whatever it is um, on Disney Plus, which we can talk about in a bit, but like, he seems to really enjoy them, which is funny to me, but uh, you just don't watch it for it. So anyway, that's the Mighty Ducks. Um, now, if you don't mind indulging me for a second, Shalila. Of course. What I'd really like to talk about are twofold. One, there are two quotes in this movie that I really love that I think are worth saying out loud. Mm-hmm. One of them is hysterical. One of them is just good. And it's like maybe my favorite part of the movie. And number two, 
This movie has a lot of weird people in it, <laughs> and it has a lot of weird things related to it. So I think they're worth touching on. Yeah. Number one, quotes. Um, when you first see Emilio Estevez on the ice, like when he gets there as a first time as a coach, there's this really strangely intimate, serious moment where he gives what I think is his best line reading of the movie, where he says, the Hawks, my first game, and it had to be the Hawks. And there's just like a way that he says it, like he's like a war-torn general who is once again faced with like the 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 enemy unit that he's had to deal with his entire life and here they are once more like it's just like so there's such gravitas in such a non-existent moment like i think i don't know why it's there but it's it stands out to me however i think the best quote of this movie is the duck is one of the most noble agile and intelligent creatures of the animal kingdom (laughs) unquote when I heard that, all I could think about was that entire John Mulaney bit where he's like, one feels like a duck duck splashing about in all this wet, and when one feels like a duck, one is happy. Ooh, ducklings, quack, quack. Like, it was just... (laughs) I don't know why. There's just this... Emilio Espes just has to defend the duck for a bit, and it is such a funny line to hear him deliver... Uh, it's hard to describe um one of the reasons i do enjoy it so much this is somewhat related to the tangential thoughts i have emilio estevez looks just like his father martin sheen it is he looks uncanny spitting image like martin sheen was de-aged i personally think that he sounds just like sean astin so one of the reasons this was so weird was because i heard the quote the duck is one of the most noble agile and intelligent creatures of the animal kingdom come out of the face of Martin Sheen in Sean Astin's voice. And it was very weird. That whole combo was just like a very, I kind of had to pause the movie, you know, like, I need a moment. (laughs) Um, Here's some other things that occurred to me during it, slash, I think are interesting. Uh, The rival coach in this movie, which is Emilio Estevez's former hockey coach, Mm -hmm. is the other lawyer in the movie My Cousin Vinny. He's the prosecutor trying to get rid of Ralph Macchio. And I love that guy in that movie, so I just want to talk about that. (laughs) Uh, Two, in the first hockey game, Emilio Estevez is very stressed out. He gets very, like, he has a headache. He's very clearly overworked in this situation. And you know that because he takes out an aspirin bottle and he takes (laughs) one single aspirin. And that's how the movie indicates to you that he's been put over the top. (laughs) And I think that is absolutely hysterical. I think it was funny then. I think it's even funnier now in the age of like prescription drug overload and the propensity to which on TV you see, especially the trope of like overworked mothers, like popping Vicodins, Mm -hmm. stuff like that, like that trope to see that movie be like, man, we're really going to let people know that he's stressed because he takes one single aspirin (laughs) is just hilarious. Um, The judge was the voice of Woodhouse from the TV show Archer, who is now passed. Uh, So RIP to the judge. But I love Archer. I love Woodhouse on that show. And it turns out that was the judge. That's that. Um, The big guy in this movie, like the tall kid who he ends up bringing in because he's a great shot. Yes. Who is, that's Foggy from Daredevil. Hold on. No. What? Yeah. 
that's foggy. <laughs> Which, for those who have seen Netflix's Daredevil, is he's like the friend. He's like the other lawyer. Um, and I'm trying to match these faces in my head, and I, I, I like, I guess. <laughs> It's so funny to see him in this movie because he's supposed to be, like, intimidating and big and kind of off-putting and scary, and he is. But when you realize it's Foggy, it is so funny because Foggy in that show is such a useless, just pile of garbage. Like, he's just not... He's just, like, comic relief. He's... He's kind of worthless, and that's like kind of the point of the show too. But like, he's so unassuming, and if any, you know, he's the kind of guy that you would expect to get a bloody nose from taking one single aspirin pill. <laughs> so for him to play this bully guy, not really bully, but like just giant, scary dude, is hysterical. Um, really enjoyed that. Now, wow, the. Final thing that I want to talk about here is I think the strangest thing. I'm ready. The child who plays young Emilio Estevez in the beginning of the movie. That guy. His name is Brock Pierce. Mm-hmm. He is... He was in that movie. He reprised his role in Mighty Ducks 2. He was in a series of movies oh, until I 1997, so yeah. including First Kid, Little Big League, Problem Child 3, and Three Wishes, and Earth Minus Zero. Nothing really worth talking about. This guy is now, A, running for president yeah. in the 2020 presidential election as an independent, and B, is worth a billion dollars because yep. of cryptocurrency. Yep. He's like a guy who knows he like he brought in Steve Bannon. Like he's a guy who has the ability to bring in people like Steve Bannon. Like I'm not saying that's a good thing, but like on the the world stage of importance. Right. He can just do that. Yeah. I just I, <laughs> What a weird turn. I guess. I had to stop the movie when I found this out because it was just so unexpected to be looking through. And I was like, I wonder what this guy ended up doing. And I'm kind of reading through it like, oh, interesting. And then all of a sudden, I'm sorry, he's worth a billion dollars because of a cryptocurrency career that he started and then was promptly shoved out of? Yeah. What? (laughs) But, But like he started as the kid who fails a shot in the opening scene of Thereby the Mighty Ducks. traumatizing Emilio Estevez's adult character in, again, The right. Mighty Ducks produced by Walt Disney. Right. What a weird story. That's really all I have to say about it. I don't have anything else to... to rem- I, there's, I don't really have a judgment. It's just, what a weird set of facts for this man. Uh, and that's it. That's my entire take on the film The Mighty Ducks. I think that's all there is to say. That's when I found that out. I also had to take an hour out of my life to sit and process it. He's also like obviously yep. not a good person at all. Um, not at based all. on everything about him, he seems just <laughs> effing all. terrible. <laughs> so yep, great. Yeah, it's great. Really interesting. So I guess 
what we should go to now is maybe the meat of what we really want to talk about today, which is legacy. Yes. Because we've sort of established that neither of these movies are particularly good, but they each have fascinating legacies. Like, really, honestly, interestingly intricate legacies that I think go well beyond the scope of what these movies were meant to do and what they deserve. Yeah. Um, so uh, why don't you take it away? Where do you, where do you want to kind of start with this? Let's, let's talk a little bit about snakes on a plane again. Um, I want to talk a little bit about a predictor of the notoriety that snakes on a plane would have. Um, here's something that's just true, but I guess I'd never really thought about it. This movie was one of the all time ever in history, most hyped movies on the internet. Like if, if you had spent time on the internet around when this movie was coming out, Joker and all of the conversation around it would be nothing in comparison. It was that, or, or at least near equal. It was that crazy. It was, I mean, it also nicely lined up with about the time when we could use the internet to hype things like movies and everyone was comfortable right. doing that and all of the, the various platforms and blogs where these things could happen and communities could they gather. They just been born. Up. Yep. So yeah, yeah. this was, it just came at such a time where, like you were talking about the soundtrack with all these, all these frankly very big artists, especially at the time, like the reason why there was so much of just hype around it like people were excited people wanted to know as much as they could um things were being set up people were planning when they would go like there was so much happening um people blogged about this and were so obsessed with it that they did reshoots of this movie to add in curse words to make it r-rated because the bloggers wanted it so bad and there were blogs and trailers and spoofs and contests and tv specials and books and songs and panels all leading up to this movie which again had not yet come out and i know again this seems just so normal these days but it was not (laughs) and people were obsessed with this movie and it just feels like such a big kind of like a watershed moment for the internet and its effect on movies like i'm sure there's there's through like a lot of noise there's a straight line from people talking about snakes on a plane all the way to people complaining about the design of sonic and them changing the design like those are connected oh interesting i like this theory a lot so that's that's where i'm kicking this off Ooh, i like that a lot that's a that's a strong thesis i like it that's not bad at all mm-hmm. i mean you're not underselling it like it's uh Fake trailers, fan fiction, movie parodies, posters, fan art, songs, like, there was so much stuff made for this. And that's an interesting posit is basically like the beginning of fan input eventually morphs and sort of like, uh, becomes like a bastardized version. And that's how you get Sonics. We demand that you make something different. Yep. Interesting. For better or for worse. Like some of the things, basically some of the things they added were some of the most, for bad reasons, memorable scenes in the movie, like the nudity, the drug use, the fact that one of the women in the movie dies because a snake directly bites her exposed breast. Um, Those are the things that that they did reshoots to add in. (laughs) So 
it wasn't right. good stuff. Like it wasn't stuff yep. that was in any way boosting the quality of this movie. But they added in. They really like they went for a specific tone. They were like, okay, our movies are hovering on the edge of being horny trash. We're gonna make it full horny trash. But they did that because the internet asked, and they did. They wouldn't have done it right. if people didn't ask. That's interesting. But I mean, and, and I guess like then it's. As in, it's sort of like being done in a positive way then, where Sonic is done in a negative way, right? Like, man, we would love to see these things included, as opposed to, you really screwed up, do this. Right, right. I would say, yeah, yeah, I think probably if we spoke to the people who were in charge of these last minute reshoots, they'd probably have a different perspective. Oh, I'm sure they're not happy. For sure, they hated that. Um, Especially (laughs) with no precedent whatsoever. Um, Being told some, you know, blogger, mister, whatever, on website, whatever, wants you to add in a boob, so (laughs) get on it. It releases in 10 days. But it was, it was very interesting that they, they, that was one of the first big examples of people just, of them just acquiescing. Um, And, it's it's bizarre. It is really bizarre. Can I... I want to make another posit that I don't have a lot of evidence for. Go for it. But long-time listeners to our, you know, storied podcast will know that I like the Oscars. And I spend a lot of time yeah. looking at them and looking at the winners and the nominations. Here's my, my bid based on no data. Uh, if I'm remembering sort of like the best picture lineup of the early 2000s. What is standing out to me in my vague memory of 2000 to 2006 is that if I'm being very critical, it was a real snooze fest. (laughs) And what I mean by that is like all the movies I'm thinking of were very like highbrow, very... um, Lots of like kind of intellectual movies or, or pseudo intellectual at least. Uh, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but one of my posits is I'm wondering if one of the things that made this movie so popular to this day, like to the point that we're currently talking about it, is that it was so unabashedly lowbrow in a way that hadn't quite come out yet. And that's something I think we can talk about now is like that legacy, but like it was proud of it. Like, everyone knew the famous line before the movie came out. Mm -hmm. I've had it with these snakes on this plane. Everyone knew it before the movie came out. Like, it was so in your face, like, this is going to be aggressively, stupidly fun. There's not going to be a single thought in the head of the movie, nor while you're watching it, other than this is fun. And I wonder if that was also kind of unique. To a degree, like unique in terms of notoriety. Because hmm. obviously there's dumb movies, but I'm just sort of wondering, like, is it, was there anything that was this proud of being, quote, lowbrow, you know? I I actually agree with you. I, I, I'm i sure that there's things that I'm forgetting, so I don't want to make a bold claim, but I, I, I'm, I feel pretty confident in saying that it was probably one of the biggest examples to straddle that boundary between trying to be genuinely profitable and be a movie that people talk about and respect to some extent and be trash, and, and boldly be trash, you know? Right. Um, I, I think that's... I, in, in another another anecdote that's very linked to what you're saying and what I was saying is is the fact that... So, the famous line that, you know, I want these snakes off this plane, um, that line, do you know where it came from? No, I have no idea. 
So what happened is when they were developing this movie, or when they'd actually already shot it, and when all the internet hype was peaking, some dude, like a blogger, some guy, again, completely unrelated to the industry, created a fan-made trailer for this movie of, you know, things he hoped it would be. Like, you know what fan-made trailers are. They, you know, there's no real footage. It's just stuff and uses footage from other movies the actors have been in, right? So um, it's completely theoretical. He just made everything up and it mocks, the, like, the entire concept. And it's, you know, it's, it's fun. It's extremely R- R-rated, the trailer and everything. But in the trailer, he got a guy who sounds or can do a good impression of Samuel L. Jackson to say that line. Like, he wrote this line for his fan made trailer and they put it in the trailer the trailer blows up on the internet and again in the sonic thesis thread some they start demanding that this line be in the actual movie so this is one of the reshoots like they get samuel l jackson in and they're like okay well we need to add this line in so you have to say it like the the most iconic parts of these movies were written and demanded by fans and fans meaning random bloggers on the internet how, like, I, I feel like you have to lean in to some extent to to f- believing in this movie's success and wanting it to be lowbrow equally to do something like that. So I do think you're right. Like, I, I, can't, ima- I can't think of another movie that's in that vein exactly at the time. Interesting. Well, okay, so that's a, that's a good thing to segue into is uh, I think one of the things that you and I are sort of positing is that this started... I'm not going to say the, because I feel like there must have been waves before this, but at least, let's say, a renaissance of proudly, uh, you know, maybe I won't say bad, proudly lowbrow movies, right? Like, we're actu- we're, we're not shying away from the fact that this is dumb, and let's go. Right. So, one of the things we were sort of talking about was that, from my memory, and again, I this was 2006, so... I was a whole 12 years old. So I guess, you know, I, I was not paying attention like I was now. So I could be speaking out of turn for all I know. But from my memory, there was not a whole lot of movies that were successful, big, marketed. Everyone kind of knew they were coming out that were like this. After this movie, they were everywhere to this day. Like the, the one that I can think of after this that was sort of to this level was Piranha 3 Double D. Mm-hmm which is a hilarious title. A, <laughs> uh, I, I really just, I got to applaud them on that one because it, the whole posit was that it was 3D. That was like a big deal. It was a 3D movie and it wasn't 3D like Avatar was 3D. It was 3D like <laughs> old school, like there's a product that's going to jump out of the screen and bite your face 3D. Yep, yep. But the poster, sort of to go to your point of like, again sort of like lavishing in it and and sort of not even in good ways like let's be clear we're not even saying these are all good choices yeah the poster for piranha 3d is there's a piranha that is in a lake and it is gonna bite a bikini clad woman's butt and the title is piranha 3dd right it's it's pretty brilliant i you know i gotta give it to (laughs) it's it's gross (laughs) but brilliant um yeah and I just don't think that that movie would exist without Snakes on a Plane. It would not. It's just no. so... And they were so proud of it. Like, Piranha 3 Double D is so stupid, and they're so proud, of, and uh, Ving Rhames is in it, and he's, like, chopping up piranhas with a boat motor that he's holding in his hand, and it's just, like, nuts and gory and dumb and, and you know, dumb, uh, again, like, uh, 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 posits, uh, uh, premises, rather. So... I think that's another one that's worth talking about. Sharknado, Sharknado I definitely don't think would obviously. happen without this. 
because everything became like, what if there was a thing, but a lot of them. So yeah. Yeah. That's it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're, I mean, (laughs) there's like, like the line we can draw from that to Sonic. There's a less tenuous line that we can draw from that to every other creature feature really. So it's good. It's a, I don't know if it's good, (laughs) but there is a link to, I mean, even, you know, the, the, the more contemporary ones, like the shallows with Blake Lively, or I guess the Meg, um, and, uh, things like that, you know, uh, with yeah. animals on the loose in situations you don't expect them to be. So this is something you and I were talking about beforehand. And I think that's actually interesting to point out is it feels, I, again, I don't know, maybe Snakes on a Plane is, I mean, Samuel Jackson said it, so I'm sure it's partly true. This might be part of like a proud older tradition. But in the modern sense, I think this is, you know, sort of the the one that started it. I think that Snakes on a Plane started a trend that is separate from movies like, um, whatever, like uh, uh, the Godzilla films or something like that, which are, they owe themselves to the original Godzilla's, like, like uh, Supernatural, where the posit is this, this horrifying thing that the brain cannot fully wrap itself around like um even things that are sillier like rampage the rock for example like these this giant crocodile and this giant wolf and this giant bat all show up and they fight each other that that your brain knows that that's fake but it's sort of amazed by the level of like wow that is a wolf the size of those honeycomb parking lots in mm-hmm. Chicago, because it's set in Chicago for some reason. Um, that's crazy. Versus these movies, like you just said, Shallows, I think Crawl, which was just recent, uh, yes. which is Alligators. Uh, Shallows, which is Sharks. Snakes on a Plane, obviously. Piranha. They're yeah, positive. lots of spider ones, too. Yes. I think their posit is more realistic, and I think that's one of the... Th- realistic, quote-unquote. Right. I think right. that's one of the things that makes it work. Is it sort of like, but what if? <laughs> like, because you know yeah. that there's not yeah. building sized bats, but you can actually sit there and kind of be like, what if this lake has a bunch of piranhas in it? <laughs> like, right. what if there was a flood and there's a bunch of alligators in my basement? That'd be pretty crazy. Like, even though they're, they're really ridiculous movies, they still have this sliver of realism. And that's a really tenuous word, realism that allows them to work that I think makes this sort of separate genre. Yeah, I, I buy that. I think, I think you, um, I'll push that a little further and say that you could probably split creature features into two different streams. One of which is what we're talking about, which is, is sort of, again, realism where they're like, well, you know, the entire concept is this could happen, I guess. (laughs) So what if it did? And then there's another one, which is kind of, based on some kind of existing canon of any kind um like the entirety of godzilla obviously all of those creatures like mothra etc etc is based on their those are existing characters that have been created by people and they're part of lore and that kind of stuff and mythology and then things like the meg too which is like oh you know history <laughs> sort of um right, so right. There, there, there's there's a thread of them where they where they at least in some form, are meant to be based on something and others where they're really just current world, but what if it was crazy? <laughs> or it can be, aren't you afraid? Um, I think I, I, I'm really, this is a bold theory because I've only thought about like six movies right now, but I'm sure I could probably slot 
a movie that you can come up with into either of them. Like, I, I think that could be... I think I'm proposing this as a model, basically. I think that yeah. it's one of... I think most of them are one of those two. And obviously, you don't have to think about it that hard because they're kind of both going for the same, like, disaster impact. But they start in one of those two places. I think that's I think that's very fair. I think that's a, a good way to, to posit it. And uh, we can draw those lines back now that we have a we have a framework as the former academics the two of us were might say mm-hmm, mm-hmm, look at us yeah. bringing back our our useless uh things <laughs> that we learned um we have degrees even without even without like larger posits though just this movie alone i mean it had a comic adaptation from mm-hmm. dc comics it had a novelization that was huge i mean it was a 400 page novel for for six on a plane that seems huge like i don't know why mm-hmm. there's 400 pages um i've heard all i i this is i do know i don't think there's any truth to these but i do know that for years this is one of those movies that has been like oh there might be a sequel in the works okay here's an interesting thing not related to legacy that i just realized by looking at the bottom of this page this movie was directed by a guy named david ellis who has directed the following films in reverse chronological order. Shark Knight, which I'm assuming is a horror movie. The Final Destination, which I know is horror. Mm-hmm. Asylum, which I'm assuming is horror or thriller. Six on a Plane, which is thriller. Cellular, which is thriller. Final Destination 2, which is horror. Homeward Bound 2, Lost in San Francisco. No. <laughs> 1996. <laughs> How do you get from directing Disney. the sequel to Homeward Bound to all horror movies? Like I don't. How do you get from there to there? What a well, or at least thrillers. What a weird, what a weird transition. Anyway, keeping on this discussion of legacy, snakes on a plane. Like you said, it's just it just has this fascinating sort of legacy and and one that I don't think you and I like. We're sort of making a lot of posits here, but I don't know if we can. I, you can't like factually state it. It's just like it. It seems almost impossible to say otherwise. Yeah. The mighty ducks, on the other hand has a real concrete legacy that is so fascinatingly large, I have a hard time actually wrapping my head around it. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. get why. Um, Number one, we should talk about the fact that there is a hockey team called (laughs) the Mighty Ducks. Because a year after this movie came out, Disney founded an NHL hockey team and named it the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim after the movie. And to this day, they exist. This isn't a continuing tradition so, of them registering tartan patterns after Brave and doing things that they can just right. because they yeah. can. Because they, they can. Um, after the movie came out, it was a surprising hit, basically. It has two sequels. It has an animated TV series, which I actually watched as a kid. I had no idea there was a movie. I knew the I knew the Mighty Ducks from the TV series Mighty Ducks, mm, the animated TV, which series. is a Disney afternoon series about anthropomorphic ducks who are like they're like hockey players but in space, and they like fight stuff, but it's still related to hockey. And I think the Saurians Saurians are from that, which I think have been picked up in other have been picked up in other, like, fiction, like S-A-U-R-I-A-N-S, Saurians. Sure. Uh, which are, like, reptiles that are hidden all around the Earth. <laughs> anyway, all of that came from this movie. And 
the other thing I do know about it is it was huge in home video rental back when that was a thing. Right. Just right. massive. Like Blockbuster made have must have made a mint off of this movie. And now, of course, there is a rumored or a, I think at least point confirmed sequel coming or reboot or whatever you want to call it. Um that is coming uh, to Disney Plus. I've heard rumors that they're going to reboot the Mighty Ducks TV series too. Like there's talks about that. Um, and this one, I sort of have less of a. I, I I honestly have less of a of a guess as to why this worked. I really don't. I, I mean, other than the power of Disney, right? Like Disney's just overwhelming power made this. Because beyond that, what I can't figure out is why this movie and not any of the other Bad News Bears copies. Yeah. This is extremely unrelated to anything that you've just said, but I will say it because I just remembered it and it's crazy. Do we, did you realize that the two movies we're watching that we watched today or are talking about today have, this is a bit of a stretch, but have a cast member in common? No, they do. So this is technically a lie because the cast member in common was in the D2 and D3 sequels to Mighty Ducks, but Keenan Thompson. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Look at that. I did not know that. Uh, who knew? Back to what you were saying. Back to your actual contextual thesis. I, I just really don't have like a... I Why? Don't know. I don't... Know? Yeah, I, I think that's my... You know, so... Maybe here's what I'm trying to get at, I guess. It's like... The guy who directed this, Stephen Herrick, also directed Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, hmm. which is a movie that okay. I adore, yeah. which is a bad movie that is so fun, and the the second sequel is coming out uh, this year slash next year um, with, once again, Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter. Um, he made uh, Mr. Holland's Opus. He made 101 Dalmatians with Glenn Close. Uh, things that are, like, fun. Good stuff. Dumb, yeah. fun movies that just kind of work. And The Mighty Ducks clearly fits into that to a degree for people. But why is The Mighty Ducks the one that is a monster franchise, but quietly? Like, again, it has a hockey team. It had, like, a ride at Disney for a while. It's, yeah, it has an entire official podcast, too, like, for the trilogy. That's, yeah, that's my point. Like, why? Why when, this When you not... watch the movie, you have no confidence in that as the subject material no. that inspired a, a universe of stuff. Any decom, any decom sh- could fit the role just as well. Like, there's, to me, there's no reason. And and any of the Bad News Bears copies, like, right, I mean, right, hell, right, the right. Bad News Bears. So are How you is there not, 100% like, why is there not an anthropomorphic... That's that's my my question. I don't know, but I I don't know. I have a suspicion that that's true, but I don't really know because I can't think of any other reason why that would be except well, actually, let me let's let's let me put my let me start rubbing my hands together and make a premise here, <laughs> make a posit rather. Maybe maybe what we just talked about with snakes on a plane is also relevant here, which is timeliness. So one of the things that you were basically theorizing about Snakes on a Plane was that a lot of its success is probably due to the fact that it came literally with, like, the nascent birth of social media. Mm -hmm. Like, it showed up right when Facebook expanded out of college campuses, right when Twitter is born, right when, like, the late-stage internet is basically being formed. Uh, Snakes on a Plane hits, and early YouTube gets to spread it like wildfire. 
So maybe that is part of its part of its success. Here's my thought, based on my very limited knowledge of the world. If I'm not mistaken, this 1992, which is when this movie came out, is right around the time when VCR tapes became accessible. Mm. And what I mean by that is VCR tapes had existed for a bit. To my understanding, they had actually existed well into the 80s. But VCRs used to be super expensive, or VCR tapes, let alone the, the box itself. The box itself was like an insanely expensive thing that like, you know, I guess akin to now where like you'd have like a 4K game system that would play or whatever. Like right, right. something that is just so like, you know, your wealthy neighbor has a VCR. So because of that, the tapes themselves were also pretty expensive. So one of the things that I'm aware of from family and also just culture is it was like a thing where like for a while, most people did not have VCR tapes, A. And B, if they had a player, they had like three tapes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, now, maybe you tape something yourself, but like to buy it was really expensive. So you would have, you know, like your favorite movie and not much else. To my knowledge, uh, in the early 90s is when that started to break. And they became, VCR players became cheaper and VCR tapes became cheaper. Mm-hmm. So my, my theory here is, if that is the case, Mighty Ducks hits, Mighty Ducks becomes a surprising success. Kids take the parents to see it, whatever. Parents want to go see another Bad News Bears copy. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, in the world of video rentals, you finally get the birth of like video rental stores in an easy way, like in a, in a cheaper way than you might have been able to before. So suddenly you have the two converging at once and you have easy access to home video and a movie that is like beloved, except by critics, that every kid wants a VCR tape for also because now there's a hockey team and also there's a TV show. So my guess here is that it was a merchandising phenomenon because it happened to hit right at the time in which kids could take the movie home and you couldn't take bad news bears home. It hmm. was out too early. No, That's I, I buy this. Guess. Yeah. Yeah. So the VCR bubble burst and this movie came along and you had a, a fantastic opportunity to connect with it like never before. Right. And that means you could take it home and you could rewatch it. And not only could you rewatch it, but let's say that you are a uh, older Let's say that you're a kid in 92, like you're whatever, you're eight years old, you get your parents to buy the tape, you watch it, you're eight years old. Four years later, your little sibling can now watch that mm. movie because you have the VCR tape and that creates this cycle of, of the nostalgia like we were talking about before of kids being able to quote, discover this movie and have fun with this movie because it was sitting at home or it was sitting on Blockbuster apparently forever, like that's my only guess because beyond that like you said what else why this movie i mean it's it's on the it's on afi's it, it's a nominated sports film for afi's top 10 sports movies why like why no i think why i think you nailed it i think, it. I think it's it's say large percentage disney's disneyness um and then in equal parts uh vcr bubble bursting and the rewatchability that is born from the kids' interactions in this movie actually just hitting. So so it starts with 
somebody gets this on on VCR and has it at home. Um, so great, it's there. You're a kid, you watch it. It wasn't necessarily made for your generation, but it resonates with you anyway. Plus, Disney has put its Disney-ness into proliferating everywhere. And all of that put together leads us to the fact that it's somehow a massive franchise now in every everywhere you look. Right. I like it. I don't really have a I don't have a reason beyond that. Um, other than maybe Estevez. That's the only other thing I can think of. Yeah, I Estevez guess. was such an eighties icon that maybe it was enough that, you know, kids were drawn by the Disney and parents wanted to go see Estevez and something and I, I guess, I don't know. It, it's it's a I can't believe I'm saying this, but Snakes on a plane makes more sense to me. <laughs> like it just, <laughs> yeah. it, it's its outcome makes more sense to me. But maybe that's also because it's a it's a product that we're more familiar with. And what I mean by that is like the, uh, internet virality, right? Like we yeah, we understand yeah. the concept of like going viral and like like what that is and the kind of the wildfire that can create. Yeah. So we get why that might be. This is before that age, so maybe it's just harder for us to get. I don't know. I, I guess. You know, that's all we got. This is a this is one where we're going to need a documentary. I think it's worth noting that the titles of the movies, of the sequels, are The Mighty Ducks. Every one of them. So it's The Mighty Ducks, and then the sequel is called D2, The Mighty Ducks. Yep. And the third one is D3, The Mighty Ducks. <laughs> and I feel like that should give us a little bit of a clue as to, <laughs> like... It was always about the name, like it's about the merchandising of that name because they don't even give it a title. Yeah. Like, what is what is D just ducks too? I guess it's sir. <laughs> yeah. right, right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there you go. That's uh, that's our little bit on the legacy of Snakes on a Plane and the Mighty Ducks, which is about all we can give these movies. So we've done. That's we've more done than I ever thought done. I would talk about them. I know. Yeah. It's probably all I'll ever talk about them again. So. Yeah. No, I think I'm good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I don't have anything else to say about them, I guess. Um, thank you to my father and uh, Aubrey, to my brother Aubrey, uh, to Roger and Aubrey for selecting these uh, and for giving to our uh, Black Lives Matter fundraiser and choosing these as our podcast topics. Um, I think uh, we're done with these for at least a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, oh my God, I just realized we didn't play our game either. <laughs> A game. We always play a game. We must. Oh, have that's a game. so. We. It's been so long since we recorded. We forgot about the format of this podcast, listeners. Um, let's do a would you rather scenario. Oh, jeez, go for it. Here we go. Uh, would you rather? Would you? Okay. Would you, Shalila? Like you, mm. real life, Shalila? Would you rather be on a plane full of ducks or? As in ducks that are, are, are wild and are being activated by a pheromone with the express purpose of killing someone. Not you, but someone. Or would you, Shalila, rather be on a hockey team called the Snakes and forced to coach or play on a hockey team? Coach or play? I mean... And you have to do it. Like, it's, it's you know, you'll, you'll go to jail. You can violate your community service. Oh, man. I mean, I, 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 Eric, I ask you this with so much respect. Who is picking the plane? Is there anybody on this earth who would rather be in a life-threatening situation on a plane that is unfamiliar to them well, 
then no, let me let me specify. Let me specify. The ducks, the ducks may not kill you. The ducks are only trying to kill one person on the plane. Sure. Now, if you should get in the way of these ducks, they may kill you. Here's my thing. I honestly thought that you'd pick the plane. I never thought you'd pick hockey. Okay, not a million. Please years. tell me why. I just truly, to the bottom of my heart, never would have considered that you would pick playing on a children's or coaching a children's hockey team no i wouldn't coach over it. i would play on it being on a plane full of ducks <laughs> I, I really truly just didn't i don't know i just don't see the world in which i would pick our time one. together <laughs> tells me that you would pick you know why yeah, okay i know that you're a big fan of uh as your side of the pond might call it football mm -hmm. uh which to us unlearned americans is soccer but I don't think of you as being into sports at all beyond that component. Like, at all. Uh, now, maybe I'm wrong about that. I could be completely wrong about that. But I don't think of that. I know you're deeply into soccer. Um, and I think possibly cricket. But uh, if I'm remembering at least one YouTube video uh, of the many thousands that you've shown me. But I don't think, and I'm not saying I am either. I would pick the plane, by the way. Uh, but this is becoming abundantly just, clear. <laughs> yeah, I just never thought that you'd pick the sports. I gotta be honest. Man, I mean, I there's nothing in this world that would make me play hockey if this weren't uh, like <laughs> if I weren't forced to choose between this or stuff on a plane. Um, I have no natural sporting ability, none at all, none whatsoever. Yep. I like a few sports, but I'm not sports person and Got it. um hockey i think i would be expressly terrible at it. it like especially laughably bad um but so you would go through that rather than just take one I plane ride with a bunch of ducks be fun and i think being on a plane with ducks would not be wow. fun like i would rather have fun learning something even if i'm terrible at it because after, even if it takes months, because yes. you're playing for a season, yeah, you're playing yeah, for a, yeah. whole season a whole season versus one plane ride with ducks. Yes, I would rather wow. put all this time into. I, okay, either either I get really good at the hockey and and I come, or I get you know average at the hockey and I'm a deserved member of this team. In which case, <laughs> great, maybe this has launched a passion for a career I didn't know I had. Um, but or I'm I'm still not good at it, but I tried my best and I had some fun playing hockey. I guess, and that's a story I'll always have. Or one of my plane rides would have been so embarrassing that I will have to never speak about it ever again. And it will probably traumatize me and I will probably never get on a plane ever again. So I'm picking the hockey. <laughs> wow. I am truly shocked. Um, but I have, I have been proven wrong. This is fascinating to me. Um, yeah, I'm picking the ducks. I got to tell you, I can't believe I this was actually an interesting question. This this was. <laughs> I'm baffled. I was that a good game? Can't believe <laughs> you would get on a plane with many ducks on it, rather than just like planes are already just the worst, and you want to compound that with squawking creatures who have been sprayed with pheromones and are wild, even if they're not going for yeah. you. Instead yeah. of a sport, a 100%. human sport on land 100%. where there is yep. naturally occurring it's gravity. Not, it's, okay, here's the thing. It's not on land. That's the, that's the secret. It's on magic water. Pop it's town. on frozen water, which is 
is terrible. It is cold and painful. And I've been with Eric, ducks. What do you I know think ducks. Is under I can the deal with ducks. Water? <laughs> can <I> just... <laughs> yeah, that's true. There's the ground eventually. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, this is not related to the game, but it did make me think of this. I have never flown first class ever in my life. Mm-hmm. I've never been on a plane as big as the one in the movie Snakes on a Plane. But what, what I'm bringing up here is that movie gave me very unrealistic expectations as a kid <laughs> as to what international over-the-ocean flight would be like. Because I remember when I got on one, I was like, man, I can't wait to be on a two-story plane that has a, uh, a, a spiral staircase in it and like a lounge and stuff. And then I got on a plane over the Pacific Ocean, and it was just a plane. It was just a, a, a freaking plane, like a bus, but that has wings. So I'm a little bit mad at Sinks on a Plane for giving me those unrealistic expectations. And I'm asking, have you ever seen a plane like that? I I don't want to sound like an asshole. I have also never flown first class, but every single international flight I've taken has been like that. Like, they, all the planes have looked really? like that. Every single really? time. They have a staircase? Yeah. They have a staircase up to the entire spacious area that's first class with the lounge and everything. Like when I, I enter and when I board, I just walk past the staircase and then turn and go to my seat because I'm obviously not going up. Is it is it like a spiral staircase? Is it a pool? No. In my experience, it's always been straight. Just straight ahead. <laughs> Never once. Ever, the, the only time I've been on a plane that was, I'm assuming that was over the Pacific. I really have no idea, but. I don't know why you would need a plane that big to go over the Atlantic. Maybe. I don't know. Um, no, because you fly back from Hawaii, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it's got to be... I mean, it, it was, yeah, I yeah. feel like this plane was definitely extra for a flight from Hawaii to LA. Right. But... I just... Sure. I was so excited, and then I got on my right. plane, and I walked past first class like I would normally do. Like, you walk through it, because it's a one-level plane. And I've never seen it, and I'm kind of upset. I want to see a big old double-decker curved staircase white linens plane. golden round and lounge yeah yeah bar also when he's in the belly of that plane it looks like he's in like the tube system in london like yeah. there's so much stuff down there there's like three stories of plane yeah and i didn't know that i thought that a plane was just pretty much what you had and then beneath your feet was like a little like bucket a little full attic. of luggage yeah yeah little <laughs> instead there's like a the wine cellar Parisian catacombs <laughs> down there and i didn't who knew oh so, my goodness all of that to say is you have to come up with a game off the top of your head now and then we can exit okay i'm gonna put you in the shoes of a character in one of our movies um one of the things in his life which i think was not fully explored and i'm gonna I'm going to I'm going to ask you to theorize a little bit here. So, one of the things I think is most fascinating about the Mighty Ducks is at the end of the movie, he has basically permanently quit his job as a lawyer and has yep. very proudly so and has moved on to wanting to be like a minor league hockey coach for real and he's going to hopefully be recruited by a minor league team and also to coach the Mighty Ducks in their next season in his free time now something that this movie does not even dare to present to us is 
a, a very a very real reality for this man, which is that he's going to have to adjust from having the paycheck of a lawyer to the paycheck of a minor league hockey team coach. <laughs> in Minneapolis. Yes, in Minneapolis. <laughs> yeah. With no history of really anything in the past many, many years. How do yep. you think this affects this man? <laughs> what do you think are the impacts? So I'm ignoring the sequels. Yes, because I guess yes. Those just are imagine like facts, that the right? canon ends at the end of this movie. Okay. Here is my thought. Um, I think that Emilio Estevez's character actually has a lot more money saved up than you think. Hmm. And I think that that helps him for a while. Because in the movie, we see that his he gets in a car that he immediately starts drinking and driving in. And it's like a nice car, but it's not like super nice. So here's my bit. I think he was more concerned with winning than he, ever he was with like material like presentation. Hmm. Like he didn't want to be ostentatious. He just wanted to win. And I think that material stuff, the act of like having a super nice house and the act of buying all kinds of stuff as like a high sh- hotshot lawyer. I think that gets in the way of time that he could have been spending on winning more cases. Hmm. So I think that he gets to Minneapolis and he actually has a lot more money than you think. And I think that he then uh, basically gets himself a nice little comfortable living situation. Nothing too crazy because he's trying to be better. Um, And then I think he spends all of it later in life. Like, I think, I think he ruins it later. Yeah. Because nonetheless, even with him not owning a bunch of stuff, like you just said, he now has the income of a minor league hockey coach part-time rather than a lawyer. So I think what's going to hit him is going to be like things he didn't expect, like taxes. Uh, and I also think that he's probably not very good with money. So he starts like buying his team stuff because he like they need stuff. So he gets them stuff and he just like doesn't do his own stuff. Yes. So he doesn't watch his credit card debt and everything else. Um, and I think that he just has a tremendous amount of debt later in his life. And I think that that is how that situation basically resolves is he just spends the rest of his life a very debt ridden, but, uh, emotionally and spiritually fulfilled minor league hockey coach i think that's a fantastic read especially with him giving us nothing in the movie (laughs) you really fleshed out his character into a dynamic young man with um goals and um personality i just tried to follow in the footsteps of the university of pittsburgh administrator who wrote this movie Mm, there we are yeah 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 um do you think that Samuel L. Jackson's character ever, like, goes to see another snake again in his life? Like, does he avoid the snake exhibit mm. at the zoo? Or does he go, does he intentionally go see snakes in order to yell curse words, like, in order to confront his, like, time? You know what I mean? Like, does he do, like, exposure therapy? Or does he never talk about them again? And does he, like, ask his family, like, don't talk about snakes around me? Okay, I think he does both. I think that he, in in public, uh, pretends that he has no relationship with snakes ever again and doesn't want to bring them up, not out of fear, but out of just exasperation with the species. 
But in private, when he tells people he's going on long walks, he goes to the zoo, Harry Potter style. He sits across from the reptile house and he just mutters curse words. Yep. There you go. I was hoping that the Harry Potter uh, connection would come around. Yeah. That's great. Yep. Uh, so he kind of doesn't handle it is what we're hearing. Like he, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't face it. He doesn't, like, there. by the end of his life, he's not chill with snakes. No. Like, he doesn't He doesn't come to terms with this event. No, no okay. it's not a good and healthy relationship. Got it. Got it, got it, got it. Perfect. Well, this has been <laughs> Snakes on a Plane. It's been the most fascinating two hours Mighty of my Ducks. <laughs> um, do you have anything you want to plug now that we've played those really planned out games that we definitely knew about beforehand? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they really had the air of... Uh, Thought behind them, um, very clearly. Uh, let's do one minute plugs, sixty second plugs. Um, I'll I'll do a plug. I recently watched Palm Springs. Uh, it's on Hulu. It was meant to have a theatrical release. It didn't. It's a time loop movie, but that is severely underselling it. I am still trying to figure out whether I think it's great or very very great. Um, so either way, it is a really really entertaining fun movie starring Andy Samberg, who is one of my just ultimate people with a capital P, and Kristen Milioti, who is fantastic in this movie, starring other people like J.K. Simmons, who are also great. Everybody's great in this movie. Um, it is a very fun, fun movie. I think it, literally anyone will enjoy it. It's on the internet, especially if you have Hulu. It's basically a must-watch for every single person. Deeply entertaining, very meaningful, fun, at the very least. Highly recommend. I imagine we will probably be doing an episode about that at some point. Yes. Great. That's my guess. All right. Um, I don't really have a plug because I have been in the process of moving and haven't really been doing anything but moving and then promptly falling asleep. Yes. So here's what I will say. Um, I'm actually forgetting the name of the thing I'm I'm trying to plug. <laughs> Uh, no, I, 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 thank you. I remembered it. You didn't say anything, but I'm gonna say thank you anyway. So here's the thing. I've been very busy and my partner and I have been exhausted at the end of every night and just like not able to function. So we, uh, go to bed and we put on something on the TV to go to sleep because we don't have healthy habits. Something that has been tremendously enjoyable is the very old... <laughs> Not at all relevant, like in no way current TV show, Supermarket Sweep from the 1960s. Eric. (laughs) What? (laughs) Yeah, this is going to be my plug. I'm going to plug a show that is 60 years old. Um, It's called Supermarket Sweep. If you haven't seen it, uh, basically, there's a fake supermarket filled with real stuff and contestants are in that uh i think i'm watching the 90s version by the way but that's okay uh the contestants are in the grocery store and they play a bunch of games it's kind of like a bunch of game shows put together because they do like sort of like trivia like jeopardy but then they also do like fill in the letters and they do like run quickly to catch stuff games it's like seven eight different games put into one but the whole point is you then have to go with the shopping carts and you have to fill up your shopping cart with as much stuff as you can, with as much value as you can, and then return it back in order to try to win. But even when you win, you don't win because then there's a scavenger hunt. 
or if you're on a college campus, you can't call it a scavenger hunt. So just imagine I said something else if you're in college campus. Um, and that's the game. And what I mean, it, it, I don't know how else to describe it, but I'm just saying it's very calming. I know it doesn't sound it, but it's just very relaxing <laughs> to watch old people, like to watch people from at least 40 years ago, uh, well, I guess at least 30 years ago, possibly 60, um, just kind of like running around a grocery store. And that's their entire job is like, can I get this ham in this basket? There's, it's just so simple. And it's interesting because they have to fill up the basket with as much value. So they like, like he, there's a guy, Dave runs over to the, the meat section and he's just putting like 12 hams in a basket because he has to maximize his money. And then like Nancy goes and she, she puts turkeys in and then she runs around to the diapers and she puts a ton of diapers in there because diapers are really expensive. Like it's so simple and so soothing. Um, so that is my plug. I'm learning via the internet in this moment. Like it's a live news broadcast. I'm getting this just in. Um, There is a 2020 revival coming. On January 8th, 2020, deadline confirmed ABC had picked up the Supermarket Sweep reboot with Leslie Jones as the host. Oh, that is fantastic. It's going to, on June 17th, it was announced this year's premiere in the fall of 2020 and air on Sundays at 8 p.m. Well. So, this is me telling you that if you haven't seen it and you want to watch this uh, this Leslie Jones version, I highly recommend. Uh, it's just so enjoyable. So, that's my plug. Nothing needs plugs like 60-year-old, incredibly well-established reality TV shows. Yeah. Game shows. Gotta say, I didn't expect that. But it's yep. great. Wild card. I'll watch actual movies here soon. Um, and I'll let you know what I think about those. Fantastic. <laughs> Something you've been known uh, this to has do. Been, this has been another very successful episode of uh, Are You Still Watching? And um, yeah, you can find us everywhere. We've talked about yep, that before, everywhere. for sure. You can still find us on Spotify and Apple and Stitcher and other stuff. And yeah, just search. You can find us on uh, Patreon at patreon.com slash A-Y-S-W and Twitter at AYSWPod, yes. which is where, in theory, we will be most active. Correct. Although, I think we have been quiet on there because we were quiet on here. Mm-hmm. But we're coming back in a big way. Oh, yeah. I don't know what the big way is, but we'll let you know. <laughs> we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, we'll figure you it out You know what when you see it. Um, thank you for listening, and uh, we will see you next time. <laughs>